is waiting on fries. That you don't get it? You don't, what do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never here is waiting on fries, but all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed and then you're it's like, ready to go. I forgot to fire the fries. I just always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in and I was like, hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's gonna be two more minutes. Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there in the service that they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries. <laughs> How'd your New Year's go, guys? You know, this is a big time for the restaurant business. This is a big time for the bar business. This is just, in general, where all the money's made this holiday season. We had a pretty hectic New Year's. And you were at? I was at Manhattan for uh, New Year's Eve. Manhattan in New York City. Manhattan in New York City, down in the financial district. Um, Hmm. We had a big New Year's party. We had two seatings, one at like 5 and another at like 8.30. So it was just all of Manhattan descended upon us at 5 o'clock. We sat, I think it was like 108 people. And each of those 108 people, not counting the people that were sitting at the bar, got um, a five-course tasting menu. So all five of their courses were coming out at the same time for 100 people. Just imagine having to plate five courses for 100 people at the same time. Well, it's, we it sounds like it's semi-easy considering I feel like Manhattan is the type of place where each course is about the size of a silver dollar. <laughs> right? Is that, is that no. the kind of place, sort of? That, I mean, maybe from the Instagram pictures that's what it would seem, but such is not the case. I can't take the lady there. I think it's above my budget. It's for sure not above your budget. No. Do Doable? Yeah. Just, can you do it? I can do it, you know, when I'm off. Which is like which is like now. You have yeah, plenty I'm of time. right now. I can yeah. I can go right now and get some lunch. Oh. Yeah, well, you can't go right now for lunch. Own a restaurant, they said. You there can take go. off whenever you want. They said. <laughs> Sundays that don't rain every other week. Yeah, something like that. And you had a brunch going on, just. We did have a brunch, so we skipped the New Year's Eve uh, service. It was a good call on your part. Yeah, I mean, I want to get out of there. I'm not <laughs> interested in the uh, overnight. No, we were we were out of there by like one thirty. I was at a bar before two o'clock, like drinking a beer, ringing in the news. I mean, I was I was home by eleven fifty three on the <laughs> on the dot. But we uh, we flipped it around and we changed our normal operation into a brunch because everybody wants brunch on New Year's Day. Yeah. So I we did it. Yeah. So we did a barbecue brunch, which was well received. Saw the spread. Yeah. I mean, good. we the best thing was looking at the numbers. So we knew last year we did nothing because we didn't do a, <laughs> we did not serve a brunch on New Year's Day, and this it was, was slow. That was oh, two, no, years ago. two years ago, okay. and uh, so it was slow. And we did do the brunch this year, and we did like triple the numbers. So clearly, clearly, brunch triple adjusting, trip triple the numbers is huge. I mean, you know, you're talking about a time period where most restaurants are lackluster that next morning, and there's not so many people out. And your numbers are kind of okay, but they're nothing special to the point where you said, no, 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 no. We're going to do brunch, guys. <laughs> because we're going to be there it. anyway, and you're going to be paying people to be there we anyway. Might as well. We might as well do something nice. Completely. And there's uh, a good crowd. we got some you know, college football games going on, that kind of stuff. Yep, that's very legit. And, Anum, you said you had 108 people. Is that per seating? seating? Yeah, well, the first seating was, I think, around 108. The second seating was a little bit more. Wow. So it was just like it's just getting your ass kicked for a solid two or three hours at a time. Were you in the weeds at some point, just like backed up trying to plate these things? Yeah, so I was working on the snack station. We were doing the first course. So everybody who came in, they got um, this little caviar grilled cheese thing, oysters Rockefeller, and... Um, Anuma's in the kitchen, by the way, running every all the show in the kitchen. 
Not in case not, you don't not know. Not the case. Not the case. I don't run the whole show. Not the whole show. <laughs> not the whole show. But part of the show. Spoon work. Spoon work. Spoon work is key. Spoon work is key. Um, yeah. So you got your little grilled cheese with caviar. You got your Worcester's Rockefeller. And then you got this little um, vegetable crudite thing with a tarragon emulsion. So those three dishes were what me and my station were responsible for putting out for every single person that sat down. It's like the industrial revolution, just like on the line, huh? Something like that. Fantastic. Uh, that place also has a beautiful view. Gorgeous. Just relative to that, we had a chocolate waffle, a sweet potato waffle, and a and a regular waffle. <laughs> that is. And some fried chicken. And fried chicken, a thigh, I'm guessing. A th- it was chick- chicken thighs for sure. Jesus. But Mike did come up with a beautiful jalapeno strawberry jam from scratch. Jalapeno that, strawberry jam that made money. The that gives day. our tarragon emulsion a run for its money. Absolutely. Uh, I've read that jalapenos are wildly inconsistent. So how do you know how many jalapenos to put in this jam without killing people? That I don't know. I assume that's a, a question of taste. You know, you add a couple jalapenos, give it a taste. See as you at. go, yeah. as you go. I guess it's different when you're infusing jalapenos into tequila. Uh, you're not really fully tasting it as you go. No, you're kind of infusing and waiting to see what happens. Yeah, four hours, you forget what you're doing. Four you're doing hours. your. I thought you'd have to wait a couple days. Oh, I mean, these things start instantly. They start taking over flavors. So then you can taste as you go. Yeah, but you forget. That's the problem. You forget. You always forget. Something comes up, and next thing you know, you're printing out show notes, or you're, you know, you're downstairs chopping up limes, lemons. <laughs> Sounds like you forgot some jalapenos and some tequila. <laughs> they call me short-term memory books for a reason. So after a rough second seating at New Year's, I needed fresh cold cider from Diner Bruco. What's that? Diner Bruco? Well, it's uh, our local cidery in New New Rochelle, New York, that is. Uh, just, you've had, you've had some of that diner brew on, on your taps. We have, we've carried it before. Um, he's dialed back some of the production to focus on his tap room, which is pretty cool. And, uh, coming up for the next month, Chris and I spoke about doing an event in February, one at our location in Marinick, one at his location in New Rochelle. 40 Division Street in New Rochelle. 40 Division Street in New Rochelle. Nice. Um, and Chris is going to feature a draft line at Smokehouse that he's going to pick and send us um, once a week for the next month leading up to those events. Hmm. That's like a uh, Diner Bruco roulette. Pretty much. Just you like, get a hand-selected product from the guy making it, sending you exactly what he wants you to drink every week. That's, and that's cool because that stuff is made like a solid two or three towns over in Mount Vernon. So it's like super local. Are you going to serve it through your paper straws? Who drinks beer out of a straw? I well, cringe. Cider. You can drink Either cider. one. I cringe. I cringe every time It's somebody's... like eating wings with a fork and knife. I've definitely seen people do that. Know. But you know what the move is? Eat wings with rubber gloves. <laughs> I've yet to see that. Are you serious? I Like, people coming in and eating with rubber gloves? Yeah. I can't even look at a Noom in the face right now. It's that's a that's tough. a giant waste of rubber. Shout out to uh, Charlie and Cooper at Manhattan. So we make wings for a staff meal sometime, and the two of them roll up to the lunch table with rubber gloves to eat their wings. So the hands don't get all dirty. That's it like a lane sense. with the Twix in Seinfeld. But yeah. that's not civilian use, though. Like, I mean, I guess not. I guess not. But I would feel no type of shame in going to a bar or restaurant being like, yo, let me get a rubber glove. So they, so they put on these rubber gloves, they eat wings, and yeah. then they just throw the gloves out? Single use How much waste is this? Oh, this is absurd. Uh, you know, you, you want to talk about these things and sustainability. It just seems like that's not very sustainable at well, all. Well, but if you're, so we have the metal straws. I feel if you're using the metal straws and not using the plastic or the paper straws, you can afford to throw away a few rubber gloves. 
The, the problem is with the metal straws. It, that's just like offset, you know, offsetting noise. If your space is not a high-end space and you've got these metal straws, they just decide that they're walking out. The metal straws walk out the same way your underwear and socks disappear in the middle of the night. I think they walk out of high-end places or not. Like wherever, yeah, wherever you are, they're walking out. Walking out. Well, can, I, I, can I segue into a little story? One of my coworkers, um, I forget what restaurant he said he went to. But he went to some restaurant, and they served him with what's called a coon spoon. And if you cook, you know what a coon spoon is. I recently learned what they are because we use them in plating a lot. But they're spoons that cost like 30 to $40 a piece. And so they just released this new, like, gunmetal gray set of coon spoons, and this restaurant was serving people with these coon spoons. So Peter tried to just take one of these spoons. He's like, yeah, I'm going to just keep this. I can use this at work. They added an extra $30 surcharge onto his bill because his server noticed him walk out with a spoon. <laughs> he was like, excuse me, what's this? And she goes, uh, excuse me, where's our spoon? <laughs> That's fair. Got he him. was like, all right, so I paid for the spoon. <laughs> what, what's the shape of this spoon? Um, it's just like a, a long spoon. It just looks like a regular spoon. Not like a serving spoon, but just like a spoon. And then why is it called a coon spoon? Um, because I believe it was created by a guy, a chef, Gary Coons. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it, it's not a, what you think it is. Well, I, I thought it was like racial. racial I thought it was yeah, racial. No. So did I. The first time someone said it to me, I was like, what are you calling me? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't offended. He's like, I, I no, no, no. I, do you have a coon spoon? I was like, I got a spoon, bro. I got a spoon. <laughs> well, you know, with <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thank you for that. I needed that. It was a good story. Uh, but Shout with all these Peter. trending rage in sustainable practices, we're currently in New York right now. Currently I recently right now. relocated into Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, now, this is a place where the moment that I moved into town... There were no such thing as plastic bags in stores anymore. That's something Justin has to deal with on a daily basis. Absolutely. And then you have to pay ten cents if you, you want a paper bag. A paper right? bag. Yeah. Like yeah. this is a full face mush that happened overnight. It seems like that makes sense in Connecticut, the land of taxes and no <laughs> no professional sports. Unbelievable. So you know my my day where I walked into this bar here that I work behind, uh, all of a sudden all of the plastic straws were gone. What bar? You gotta tell us where we can find you. This, this is in Teguin. Um, is it a bar or a city? It's a bar okay. in Stanford, Teguin. All of a sudden, the plastic straws were gone and paper straws were replaced. Now, my first night working was a Friday, Saturday night when I saw this happen. And sure enough, a kid came in. He was a little inebriated. And he threw a fit. And I respected his fit so much because he said he was never coming back because <laughs> there was paper straws. This kid left... And I could not be more happy with integrity. I was like, this kid is really on to something. Yeah. Stand your ground. He stands by his convictions. He came back in an hour later and ordered <laughs> more drinks. I was so let down. So let down. Did you tell him how you felt? I did. And You're like, listen, bro, you said you weren't coming back. I did. I literally let him have it. Uh, he survived, though. But we're seeing all these trends happen and these sustainable practices where it's not all about just eliminating... All the waste, it's about just making the reducing, waste more trendy. Reducing your waste and trendifying your waste. Like those little eco-friendly brown boxes. It's like upcycling. You, you take something that was on somebody's curb and you sand or it down and polish it a little bit and take, take a new that photo. Was on somebody's plate, like a bone, and you turn it into charcoal. Sure, exactly such. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I, I focus on the drink side of things, and there is a kid in Mumbai... Uh, that works at a bar. His Instagram is at the Indian dot bartender. Uh, but what to the Indian bartender? What what he's actually doing though is 
he really is focusing and his entire establishment is focusing on sustainable practices with drinks to the point where you just said taking the bone and turning that into ash. Uh, this is used as a garnish in food pieces, as a garnish in drink pieces. Uh, this could also be a piece for compost so they can grow plants in their back as well. And furthermore, he recently just posted something that showed that he was taking the roots of basil and mint and he was blending them together to create this paste because there's a lot of juices there in the, uh, the stems. And when he made this paste, he laid it out on a cookie sheet and he dehydrated it and he created, what was that, Noom, that we wrapped the sushi in? Oh, uh, something like nori? Yes, yeah. something very equivalent to nori. And he was using this as a piece of garnish in, in his drinks and whatnot. Are you, are you guys doing sustainable practices at Manhattan? Not so intense like that, but um, so we buy whole ducks and we trim them out and portion our duck breast from that. I know we're recently going to start putting a, um, a duck wing dish, like a char siu barbecue duck wing on the menu. So we have an actual proper use for our duck wings rather than stocks and sauces and whatnot. So we're making money off of the whole duck. And the rest turns into a stock. The rest turns into something. Duck sausage. Um, what else are we doing with our ducks right now? I guess that might be it. The duck wings, the duck sausage, the duck breasts. Yeah. Well, that's also just a, a piece in restaurants in general, too, where it's wise to use every single piece of whatever it is you've purchased as far as meats go or whatnot. Well, as much as possible. I mean, exactly. that's that's not a you know new way new no, way of thinking either. Not at all. Goes back from yeah. you know even that's like just being sensible. Yeah, Com- completely. From the early days of eating, even when we were actual hunter and gatherers, you would go out and hunt, and you would use every part of the animal you killed. You yeah. wouldn't just like take out some ribeyes and then let it. Let but it his boy in Mumbai is taking it to another level, grinding For up sure. roots. In in smokehouse. Are you guys doing something that does sort of focus on not wasting as much? I, I know that I feel like you make your own sausages in the house. Well, we, we actually took sausage off the menu currently. But, yes, yeah, so we try to make everything in-house and use everything that we, whenever we purchase something, use the entire product, whether it goes back to the kitchen for something else. Like, for, an, for example, we make a cranberry syrup for one of our cocktails, and we have all the for lack of a better term, spent cranberries that we strained out of the syrup. I can send them back to the kitchen to make some kind of, you know, jam or paste or use it in a dessert somehow. It's like, you know, at that point, soaked up all the sugar and, you know, whatever you're using. So then you don't just, like, toss it out. It's like, it's and you might not use it all the time, but it's very common that I'll make something for the bar and I'll take whatever I'm not using and ask the kitchen, hey, does anybody have a use for this, you know, or can we think of something to use, you know, whatever is coming out of that product? Yeah, I I think that's a good way to look at things, too. Uh, I mean, behind the bar where we may be juicing mangoes, uh, all that pulp I've actually put in a bag before, and I attempted to make a, like, mango, uh, like, almost sorbet to some extent. I failed. I failed miserably, but that's not the point. The Failure's point is happened. I tried, and you got to fail. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to learn how to advance to the next step, no? But if I was behind the bar and I was just juicing a bunch of mangoes, I would have put that mango pulp in a bag and just eat it. You know? Skip the middleman and just eat it. As long as the consumption happens somewhere, it's yeah. not getting gone, thrown in the garbage where you're we're good. Talking about we, delicious, delicious mangoes. Just we switched the paper straws a while ago, actually, just to get ahead of the whole 
you know, it's going to happen eventually yeah. where, Let's you know, New York's going to follow California and say, okay, paper straws. So we might as well just do it and be ahead. And um, you look at, you get some benefit from that as well. You're more of a trailblazer instead of just doing what the, what you're told to do at some point. True. Is the cost drastically different? You know, when you're talking about straws, like percentage wise, sure. I mean, you're talking about spending 12 cents per straw versus two cents a straw. So yeah. it's 10 cents per drink, which doesn't sound like a lot, but volume, yes, you're going to incur those costs. But what about the weight of the cost or the cost on your conscience? How do you feel at night? Well, that's the big thing. Is you know, the big thing that we want to focus on is the the weight of the responsibility that you that we have in and the rest. Like your moral, your moral. You know. I mean, and it's true. I mean, the restaurant industry definitely creates the most waste of food absolutely, on the planet. And it's, you know, starting. I don't want to say it's starting. It's always been. But it's it's a responsibility to not create waste, especially when, you know, we live in a good, a good environment where, you know, we can go out and eat and get and have food, nice food, well prepared pretty easily. Right. You know, even if you're not the richest person in our area, you're. You know, you can still eat pretty good. You're pretty, you're pretty high up on the yeah. on the ranking of human beings in the world. So it's like, you know, to just waste it. You know, you got somewhere in in the world, someone would love to have it. So it's a, it's more of a responsibility thing, for me at least. I took a trip over to the 18th room. Uh, this is a sister bar of Bathtub Gin. Speakeasy in New York City. Here, I don't know if you've been. Not familiar with it, but, you know, I'll check it out. So they, they opened up semi-recently, semi uh, and by that I mean not so recently. Yep, love that. And we had the pleasure of talking with Andreas, uh, who was behind the bar. He's a kid from Miami that moved up here to pursue bartending after doing radio. And uh, you can find him on Instagram, underscore, DreCab, underscore. And the 18th room, as... It was late, so we got a beautiful one-on-one -on -one with him at the bar. Nobody else was in the place. He realized that we were all bartending in, in the industry. Was it actually beautiful, or was he, like, trying to get out of there, and you guys were just, like, eating up his time? No. He was a professional, and he was actually into serving and hospitality, which, you know, you don't see too often. Um, but with that one-on-one, -on -one, I, I know. And <laughs> with that one-on-one, -on -one, though, we really had great talks about the 18th Room, and I didn't realize that. It is fully sustainable yeah. to the point where they don't carry spirits if that company is not sustainable. Um, and on top of that, he was going into the fact in how they have to make their drinks. Now, when the bartenders create drinks downstairs in the lab, they can't throw anything out whatsoever. They have to repurpose every single piece of every fruit into the cocktails. So Otherwise, their drink doesn't happen piece of every product that they bring in has to end up going to the customer in some way? Yes. So he was telling us that he had these seeds left over. I forget what the seeds were for one of his drinks. So he had to collaborate with one of his bartending uh, peers that also worked there as well. And he said, hey, I could give you these seeds that will infuse to your foam that you're making for this cocktail. And I think those things should go together. And they wound up making a collaboration on a drink just by getting rid of the rest of his seeds. So, I mean, if, if someone at that bar is, like, juicing fruits for a drink, like juicing citrus or something like that, they then have to use the spent citrus husks in a way 
I was. presume so that they maybe dehydrate to ash down or something to that extent. So is this a goal or a policy? This is a policy. So how is how do you enforce that policy? Enforce it in such way as what? You think somebody might be cheating and saying well, like, no, 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 like, garbage bags to work. <laughs> yeah. Carry no, I mean, them at the end of the night. <laughs> but like what happens if it if it just doesn't happen? Like what happens if in your example, you squeeze some lime and you have some lime husks that don't work in anything that you're using. I think if you had to squeeze a lime, there would be a use for the husk. Like, they wouldn't bring in limes unless they had a use for the husk. Yeah. They also, they don't use... like that's intense. That's they they don't intense. use egg whites either, uh, well, just because no the, the yolk has no use. So they use aquafiber, uh, which is what you find in chickpeas yeah. um, soaking in. And that also is able to create this frothy foam texture yeah, that I you actually learned you about see. that this year if you take if you take a can of chickpeas and drain yeah. the liquid out you can blend it up and create a mayonnaise with yep. it there's enough like protein in that you can make mayonnaise out of it that's yeah. interesting yeah so like the, these are the things that we're kind of leaning towards and you start seeing more and more articles about as everyone wants to keep talking about sustainability and it's the latest trend right uh until the point where everybody's saying the word sustainability until everyone goes back and they go no no no, no. we're gonna be the unsustainable bar. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting concept when that happens. You, you touched on trends, too, with sustainability, and it's important, like, you know, to weigh where you're at with sustainability, and are you actually trying to be a sustainable concept, or are you trying to be perceived as an as a sustainable concept to, like... Perception is the, key. ...the public? Because yeah. a, a lot of that... You know, they're buzzwords now, too. I don't, you know, maybe not everybody even understands what sustainability means in practices and you just hear it and you're like oh cool i'm gonna support that but you don't even know what what it actually means you know and it's the biggest thing is to make sure that if you're gonna do it like you know follow through do something that follow through with what you're doing and just you're you're prepping a a new restaurant now as as well prepping a new restaurant uh not not to (laughs) fully steer away from i would say building but the sustainable talk we prepped not in the kitchen prepping a new restaurant so ju- just just own Smokehouse, in, in case you don't know this, and they've just shut down one of their locations as, uh, I guess, Nero. yep, leases come to an 606 end. 606 North. And they're moving across the street into a much bigger facility. How long were you at that other location? 12 years. 12, 12 long, years. beautiful years. 12 years, since 2007. It's a long time. Very long time. And, uh, it's a long just, time and it's a short time, just depending sh- on how you look at it. I mean, it went by yeah, quick. It, it did go by quick, but it's still a long time. <laughs> now, just shutting those It was doors a sustainable down, business. <laughs> very, see what you did there. Very sustainable. <laughs> How much percent is takeout in that place? Yeah, we run about 50% takeout. What was that number? Five, zero percent. S- somebody in this business just heard that number, and they just said, no way. He's <laughs> making this up. It's one of those things you got to see to believe. It, and then when you see it, you still don't really believe it. It it does it does sound better than sometimes it looks. Also, I don't, you know, I mean, we definitely had a strong takeout business, but at the same time, it's a small location, so it's much easier to do fifty percent takeout when you have a thousand square feet to work with versus four thousand square feet. So which we, ex- we will be going into. So we expect that number to drop a little bit. I guess. I mean, it, just naturally, yeah. you know, the bigger floor space means that's more percentage that you're that you're operating out of. Now going into a new location too, you for for instance, I'll give. I'm sorry to cut you off, but for instance, an example in our Marinic location is 2,700 square feet, and we're about 30 percent takeout. So you can see how it skews 
based on the floor space you have. The more people that you can actually sit down, you're going to increase your... And that's what you want. You know, more people sitting in the restaurant as opposed drinking to... Drinking drinks. Door. Yeah. Completely. And in building out this new restaurant... Prepping. <laughs> in prepping this new <laughs> restaurant, you have a lot of things under your control uh, as far as how you've put this together. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, like 50% of it. 50% of the things under control. So you, uh, you sat with a architect? Well, we have what we have is an opportunity to actually create exactly what we want to do, which we hadn't had before. So essentially, this is the third restaurant we're going to build out, right? We built out New Rochelle in 2007 on a very, very small budget. And we built out Mamaronic in 2015 on uh, also small budget, but definitely Slightly bigger. Definitely better than the first one we had, yeah. but both of those restaurants were uh, pre-existing restaurants that they we were able to build upon, and just sort of retrofit. kind of retrofit to be us instead of you know what we're doing now, which is building from the ground up, which is a whole nother game. Where six months ago we had a hole in the ground, and, <laughs> and we've like, got a frame of a building, and we're like twenty twenty, this is going to be a restaurant, you know. So you what we have is an opportunity to literally put everything in a, the exact spot that we want to put it um, and capitalize on all those opportunities that we say in the other locations, like, oh, if this was over here, yep. this would be better. Or if this is over here, then this would be better. Well, now we have the chance to put everything exactly where no it's supposed to be. excuses once you open up, basically. Sorry, I felt like there was going to be a question in there. No, I was I was thinking about your, your build-out and your ability to just put things where you want at this point, which is almost luxurious, uh, if you will. It's luxurious, but it's also a little frightening because you can make a mistake and you can like get into it and start operating and realize this shouldn't be over here. Yeah. Which is what happens a you lot of times. You can make a giant mistake. Yeah. Well, look at, uh, look at how many seats you're going from, too, at, at the previous location's bar, right? That place wasn't really designed to be a full-scale bar in any sense, but we converted it to it, and we were able to make it happen. We, I'm, I'm on the team, guys. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm in the restaurant. What's up? Uh, but how many seats were at that bar at New Rochelle? In New Rochelle, we had seven seats at the bar and 25 seats total inside the restaurant, and we sat another 55 people. Outside, seasonal, of course, you know, from April to October. Now, take... There's really only seven at the day. At the bar stools, yeah. seven. Oh, seven. We're arguing stools. about one one stool, guys. One I, thought stool. There was, I thought there was a hey, BA. There's, there there's a big difference. Every one of those stools is worth ten thousand dollars in revenue over the year. So, that's a that's a very good point made. Uh, now, how many? Isn't there, wasn't there a B eight? I think that was just for people standing in the corner. Oh, okay. How many there seats now <laughs> are at the bar that we're building out? Uh, we're at between eighteen and, and twenty one seats. It's a huge jump. That's depending depending on where we end up. Putting the service bar and some some equipment that might go at the bar versus expo. So how yeah. many how many seats does the Mamaronic bar sit? Mamaronic is sixty five seats total and bar. sixteen at the bar. Oh, sixteen at the bar. What kind of obstacles are you facing in maybe getting permits together for this or just getting this thing completed as quickly as possible? Well, the big the biggest thing is the design the design phase of it. You know, it seems like when you're building out from scratch that, you know, the harder part is going to be the actual building and actually installing, putting things in. But, you know, as things kind of fall out, that that part will probably go the quickest. The more important, more important and harder part is the 
designing where everything goes. And when you have, you know, you'll hear a lot with commercial real estate, vanilla box versus, you know, an empty shell. And, you know, what we're talking about is a hole in the ground from when we started. Well, let's know? explain the, the so, vanilla box to maybe those that don't understand. Well, vanilla box is, you know, four walls and a floor and some rough plumbing and electric roughed in, nothing brought to where you want to go. Where you get an empty shelves where nothing, none of that is there. You have kind of a box. Maybe the flooring's not done. You don't have any plumbing or electrical um, worked in yet. And then a hole in the ground is a hole in the ground. And in that yellow box, though, <laughs> you need to describe that one. In that yellow box, though, a lot of times they'll yellow give box. you XX amount of money to uh, fix things the way you need before you move into this location. Yeah, I mean that's it's called tenant improvement. A lot of times landlords will use that to negotiate to get a restaurant in. But that's that's kind of you know you start going into like commercial real estate because that's that's more on that side of it. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about is on our side of it is having you know, an architect come in and do a floor plan to maximize the space, the space to make sure that you're going to have the right flow of people coming in the front door, going through the bar, going, going to the takeout area, you know, making sure that those eyes as they walk through the restaurant or come into the restaurant are seeing everything that they need to be seeing to maximize the sales or to trigger any thoughts or anything. You know, all that layout is important of how people f- flow through your restaurant. Also, how many seats can you get in there? How many, you know, and then the numbers of how many, how much money each one of those seats is going to generate. Then you have to hit your goals versus your rent and make sure that you're designing a restaurant that's capable of doing a daily number or a weekly number or a monthly number that's going to support whatever the rent is at that location. And that all has to get done before you even, like, sign a lease or get started. So you're talking about a good amount of money and a good amount of time invested before you even lift the hammer and then after you do that you should have you have to do this kitchen design to make sure all the specs in the kitchen are going to work to be able to produce the amount of food and the amount of output that they have to be doing to support all the tables that you just put in there and then you have to have the electrical and the plumbing to make sure all those little specs and you have the right makeup air so that's not too cold or not too hot you know we can get into it but all that gets done Again, before you lift a hammer on paper. So you have an architect, then you have a kitchen design, then you have an engineer, then you have a kitchen and kitchen architect coming in and lay out all these floor pans of all the all these specs to get all this information down. And then you can put a number and then you say, Okay, I'm gonna sign my name on this and let's lift up a hammer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. So all in all, from the point when you started moving into across the street to when it should be finished, how long do you think that's going to take? We're, we're, and I'm going to say this, we're hoping six months. And it's always, it's always a hope when you're, especially with construction, yeah. you know, you don't know what's going to happen. We got an idea that we're going to start building the, building the inside of the restaurant, not the guts, but like the cosmetic part and uh, furniture and fixtures and equipment, that part of it. Hopefully we were starting to do end of April, middle of May, which would shoot us at like a July opening. But I'll let you, you know, know. Speaking about layouts, before it gets to be the point where it's irrelevant, remember the bathroom in Mamaroneck, and we created that little hallway so that, we didn't have people walking down the hallway into the kitchen. That's that's an, that's an, <laughs> that's actually an excellent example. Yeah. So when we took over the restaurant, that was a pre-existing restaurant yep. that we purchased, and you know that's another thing to get into when you're purchasing a restaurant, what it's actually worth and what it's not actually worth. What they say it's worth and what it okay. can actually do. So we purchased a restaurant, was not doing great business, but it had a great kitchen in it, and that's 
you know, that was what the purchase price was worth, the kitchen equipment that we ended up buying. And all of the work that we ended up having to do was cosmetic and kind of the flow of the restaurant. And one of the major problems they had was, if you can picture it, the back wall where the bathrooms were, there was only one entrance and it was a shared entrance to where the servers would be running in and out of the kitchen with food. With food. So you yeah. have, and it, and it's not a big hallway. It was probably four feet wide. It's literally probably the side of the Right. Table. And so you would have your servers running in and out with food and your customers Looking searching for the bathroom because they don't know where they're going. You know, so they're just kind of coming around the corner. Oh, such a dangerous corner. It was just bad. Such so we had, we had to like split it, build a new wall with a new opening and have two entrances, one for the kitchen and one for the customers to go to the bathroom so we could avoid this just, I don't know. I don't know Shit why show. it was like that. Yeah. How long did it take you to realize that that was a problem that had to be solved? Oh, that was very quick. As soon as we walked <laughs> yeah. in. I think the question was, where's the bathroom? Oh, no, this won't work. <laughs> you, you have all your numbers down, it sounds like, completely. You know what these seats are going to be generating or what you're expecting these what seats to what be What they need to be generating, generating for sure. Well, to, to keep alive, and then anything above that is private zone, no? Correct. Okay. It's always gotcha. room for more revenue. Is there going to be any notable maybe difference that is going to happen? Like, you have two locations, and the, the New Rochelle location has always been targeted more so to maybe the college crowd that is right there, uh, keeping the wings a little bit more basic, the burgers a little bit more basic. Than you do in the Mamaronic location, in which you did want to flex a little bit in the culinary aspect of things, and you I said, the way you said that. "Let's give the flex <laughs> part. Yeah. Uh, let's give the people a little bit something of a maybe higher tier quality, or you, you know, something that they were not seeing in Mamaronic or in Neuro. Yes. Well, I think what I think what happened was over the time we evolved our concept and evolved our brand into knowing exactly the direction we wanted to go in and that was you know focusing more on the barbecue aspect and focusing on more on for lack of a better term cleaner plating cleaner plates and you know a cleaner menu especially because um, in our new Rochelle location we were, we were just doing a lot of different things based on you know what people wanted what people wanted instead of what we wanted people to want if that's if that's a good way to no, put that it, makes sense. yeah. Um, so we had an opportunity to kind of revamp that and tool the menu that way, and, and we did that in Mamaroneck. We became a little more um, in our lane, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I'm so surprised uh, nobody said the B word so far. I was waiting for that. What's the, what B word? You know what B word? What's your favorite word? Bougie. Oh, bougie. <laughs> I forgot. Mamaroneck is the bougie, the, the bougie bougier, stepchild. The bougier smokehouse. It yeah. is my favorite word. It's You're the right. Bougie stepchild. It's the, it's the. That's that's unique in itself, though. That you're able to be able to have sort of two different things going on under the same umbrella of a brand. But that comes down to it totally was, knowing your clientele and knowing what people are looking for in the specific area. For sure, it was unique. It was super confusing <laughs> and and very difficult to operate and it was something super that we confusing. needed to clean up yeah. uh to move the brand to move the brand and the company forward, forward yeah. which For is sure. what we're what we're doing now sure. neuro had a very odd and gifted way of <laughs> as you said being 
able to cater to like a college crowd and able to cater to a local crowd and then a- able to cater to you know a higher demographic like, to like you know, draw people in yeah like you know you, like you can have suits and sweatpants in the same place yeah. and you know you, you don't get a lot of places that that could do that um and i'm not sure that we will be able to replicate that going forward because i think that was specific to the location and as we were kind of growing up in the industry yeah. and now that we're adults sort of established. you know like yeah. i don't want to say adults because we're not we're kids but you know, as we want to say adults, I think we've kind of found our found our way. And that's, you know, that's what we're, you know, going forward. We've got to clean up the brand, be on one page, and kind of showing everybody what we're doing and why it's better. I mean, one, one of my favorite things, period, of going into your restaurant, though, are, let me say this, the Mamaronic location, the bougie one, <laughs> the bougie location, the fact that the wings aren't really fried. They're, the wings they're aren't smoked fried wings. at all, fried and grilled. They're, that was they're, our, that's they're the big, that's that the was big, big change. change. <laughs> and like when I and go, it was a scary change a little bit too because and like, that was that was a confusing change because you go into Smokehouse Nuro and you get fried wings. You go into Smokehouse Mamaroneck, you get smoked grilled wings. And we're like, can we get the Mamaroneck wings in Nuro? It's it, it's a thing where I go to Nuro and I don't want I don't want wings. I'm not <laughs> having fried wings. I've been treated to something like a you little just said. Bit. You're an adult now. You want adult wings? Exactly. I mean, this is why most of my top three wings don't have. A fryer involved in them. Yeah. I, I want other things now. I'm a grown up, damn it. <laughs> I'm not gonna completely throw shade on the buffalo. Wing. I mean, that's it's been around for a while. I'm always there's nothing good for wrong a good... with a classic crispy yeah. wing. You're right, but you know, there's a but it wasn't more, a little more. Yeah, thing. it wasn't us, and we, you know, I mean, it was us, but it wasn't the, the brand going forward, and that's what we needed to to clean up a little bit. You know, I'm gonna actually put out some real confusing Yelp reviews on your Mamaronic location and the New Rochelle location involving the wings. Uh, and I will be quick to jump on to those Yelp reviews <laughs> and respond. In to, a way that's appropriate. To, to appropriately respond to create brand clarity and exactly. clear that up. Because uh, appropriate responses are important when it comes to Yelp reviews. As the a, brand is the most important thing, and being clear in your brand is what's going to set you apart going forward. And there's no true. better way to be clear in your brand than appropriately responding to Yelp, to Yelp reviews or any reviews in that <laughs> matter. But I'm a, I, I'm a, a fan. consistent message is the key. I'm, I'm a fan of Yelp reviews being responded to by somebody sitting in the office. It shows, hey, we're paying attention. Hey, we're professional in our answers, and hey, we care that you took the time to leave a review. But what if we're responding, we're not professional in our answers, and we don't care that you took the time to respond because watch me win? What about that? Is that is that still like the type of Yelp review or response that you're looking for? So, and what do we have to say about those? So, right about now, waiting on prize quarters in full effect. Judge Jay residing in the case of waiting on fries against the Yelp reviewers of America. Prosecuting attorneys are Anu Bandel and Justin Zato. Order, order, order. What do you What do you have going here? Who, who, uh, we so uh, we won't ask who. We but. won't ask who. We won't name who. But um, we came across uh, some Yelp reviews for a local business where the owner just seemed to show no regard for people's feelings. I guess to put it mildly. <laughs> I'm gonna preface this by just saying that Yelp sucks, okay? <laughs> and I will, I will forever side, you know, against the. What, what's the true cook slogan? People fuck us on Yelp. 
people people fuck, fuck us on you up. yeah right so that's always that's always out there and it, and it really tends to where you get the uh quarterback reviewer right they go into a restaurant they, write they, a, they know they're gonna write a review they know they're gonna write a review like they're only even going out to eat to write a review and um you know they don't always it's not always fair it's like you know a voyeuristic approach to being involved without being involved but they have to be read and, and responded to. However, in this case... Well, they don't have case, to be responded to. Well, some of them should in be. some sense. Yeah. Whether you're physically responding or, or taking the information inside your restaurant or however you're responding. Right. So the, there's a, a somewhat northeast local spot, if you want to even use that as no, local. We don't have to get it. We don't have yeah. to get into it. Oh, 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 no, I agree. Are you, you going to pull one up to read it? I, I, have, I, have a, I have it pulled up to read it. So there's a user gripe, right? That's usually what happens on Yelp. Yeah. Somebody right. has a gripe. Uh, the first question that I ask before you even read whichever one you're going to look at <laughs> and highlight, is it a fair gripe? Does the person have okay. a warranted reason So let's to get post a summary this? of the review and the response. Okay, so Yelper A here wrote a review of said restaurant. that They traveled a far way to the restaurant because they were recommended by a family member that the food was good. So they traveled all this distance. All this distance, the restaurant has a website up, it has a whole website up, and there are times and you know open hours are all displayed so you can see when they're open. Um, and when they get there, it's closed. It's a fail. Um, and the the Yelper well, is upset because they were not, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a holiday. It wasn't like a general time where you would assume. Was this that during someone, like normal business hours? It was it was during normal business, normal posted and advertised business hours. Okay. So they wrote a review about. You know, it was closed. They were disappointed. You know, they found another place, but, you know, they were upset that that the restaurant was closed. And then, so, <laughs> you know, the restaurant responds. With, uh, you sound real stupid right now. If I'm closed, it's my damn business. When I decided to open my doors, I did not need your damn approval for a day off. Crazy. This restaurant seems like they have their uh, priorities in line, you know, like free time. You know? Is that the extent of that response? That was that the response? extent of that response. Um, we have some right, other that, ones. That wasn't the worst. It was maybe a bad day. Shoot. The person that ran the restaurant might have been having a bad day. Maybe. Um, However, as you scroll through, there's several similar reviews addressing the same problem. All different days? All different days, all different times. And here's another response. Unfortunately, I have no clue of what you're talking about. This never happened. Shaking my head. This is for you. I'm going to give you three reasons why I'm going to win. One, I don't hate on nobody. Two, I pray. Three, I stay in my own lane. 2019, watch, watch me, me win. win. That's beautiful. I can't think of a better way to say what this person was trying to say. It's it's a little motivational. A little bit. Watch uh, me win. Like That's a sentiment I can get behind. Also, it, it seems as if you want to just do whatever you want. You just have to open up a restaurant, right? Another. That's for sure why some people get into it, though. You can't really knock them if they want to just have some fun. Another review, another day, similar circumstances. <laughs> another response from the owner. Unfortunately, this never happened at my restaurant. But anyway, like I told you, like I told you and your friend, watch me win. Again, the three reasons. 2019, I'm winning. Hashtag watch me win. I so think I'll these just, are these are like mentally feelings that we can all aspire to have. I mean, you know, so I, just 
I guess. For lack of a better term, to give no fucks and <laughs> just say, watch me win. If you're in a, you know, a, a large-sized restaurant or bar in Times Square and you're leaving reviews to the reviews... Responses? Responses, responses you mean? Yeah. yeah, got it. Uh, then, like, maybe it's okay because you'll... There's so much of a pool of people yeah, you're going to do so much volume, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to being in a much smaller location, like uh, I, I believe this place is... How long until you alienate everybody that lives in this town to the point where they're against you with uh, axes and pickforks outside like it's Beauty and the Beast? So I'm going to give my two cents on this, but just one more before I do that because, I mean, this is just gold, right? So we have another similar similar review. Actually, this one praising the food, saying that, you know, the food was great. You I know, like that. This and that, but the service was lackluster and, and you know, whatever the problem they had. And the owner responds with the Yelper's name. And the moral of the story is this. I pay the cost to be the boss. You don't have to come back. Trust me, I'm going to be fine. I'm very nice to all my workers. That is why I still have the same employees from the day I opened up besides my dishwasher. Mind your business. And Merry Christmas. LOL. I don't give a damn who you work for. What I do know is that you're not smart. So on that note, girl, bye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these are absolutely ridiculous that's beautiful so my my two cents is this yelp can be frustrating especially as a business owner because absolutely. you take one instance yeah and you and, just put that up there for the entire world to see and you can be on point nine out of ten times 90 percent of the time you can be on point with your stuff and you miss one time and you get an you get a yelp reviewer that likes to throw that in there and they put it up there and it can be extremely frustrating to to the business owner to the restaurant to everything but i mean that's part of what we're here for you know we're here to create a, an experience and that's what's going to set you apart from everybody else so if you have to make sure that even the one yelper guy that comes in comes yeah, in hot like that yeah. if you're going to choose to respond then then you should respond in a, in a way that's going to you know increase their experience and Agreed. also keep in mind that everybody's reading this you know so you're just Further, you know, exacerbating. Maybe point. this person didn't know that everybody was reading this. Further, furthermore, it's it's a missed opportunity not to try to rectify a situation. I feel like on Yelp, offer a incentive for them to come back in the door. Let yeah, me buy but you some an people appetizer. aren't looking, or some people are just looking for that free thing, and some people aren't looking for you to fix it. They just want to complain about something. And I get that. I get that those people exist. That's just part of what we're in right like yeah you just take those but, lumps but so then there's there's the state of mind that'll say like i'm not gonna go weeding through all this to like try to help those people i'm not gonna go weeding through all this to try to help those people you know i'm just gonna accept the fact that some people can't be pleased okay and and that's a, a way to take it what you, what you have to do is not let you know every little every time something happens like this you can't let it become the end-all be-all for everything you just need to take each one as this as if it was a complaint in the restaurant like the same way that you would treat a table if they were unhappy and you're going to walk up to a table that's the same way you should treat people on yelp if not more so because everybody can see it yeah for sure unbelievable uh now it's important too to note that these this yelp segment will not always be Talking about the owner getting at the people leaving Yelp reviews. No, no. We want to focus actually on the Yelp reviews. 
themselves and how, how they're coming and the how movies. they're coming at us. But yeah. this just stuck out, and we, you know, we added. Yeah, it was a, that was a diamond in the rough. Uh, <laughs> sometimes also when you see a place that has such terrible reviews and you start reading the reviews because you want to associate them to you. And, but then you also go, I can't check this place out. There's <laughs> no way in hell this place is this crazy. This is true. Should we check the voicemail? You should probably check the voicemail. Hey, so I recently took a position as the GM at a restaurant where service was an issue. The first couple of weeks I've been trying to improve service standards and general attitudes of staff, but it almost feels like some of the staff have banded together to reject me as superior. Any ideas handle the situation? This... This is actually a quite common problem, I think, I would say. Correct? I mean, absolutely. Well, number one, kudos to the restaurant for realizing that, you know, it was, it was on management and that there was a change that needed to be made. From just needing new management? Just needing new management. But to bring a new manager in, a lot of times it's, it's tough with the status quo to say, you know what, we need to shake the whole thing up. So, Agree. Agree. And... You know, with this individual coming in here and walking into, uh, and everyone's been an employee. They understand. They see somebody new coming in. They go, oh, no, my world's about to get rocked. Uh, I'm so used to just couch surfing in this business where I'm making my money and I get out of here without doing X, without doing Y. And now the employees know each other well. It sounds like they've worked together for some period of time. And they're making it hard for this new manager to come in here and make these changes. You know what? So she's really asking, how do I get around this? How do I fix this problem? And I think there's multiple different ways to look at this problem and multiple different solutions depending. You know, we don't know some factors. How big is this restaurant? Is it a small restaurant? Is it a larger restaurant? For sure. But I actually don't think any of that matters, like the size of the restaurant. Or even how they operate, whether it's you know counter service or or uh, you know full full service restaurant or however it is, I think the big thing to remember is you're coming in as a new manager. There's two things. There's two major major keys. One, you're you're not there to make friends. True. You know you want the respect of your staff. Yeah. You you don't want everybody to just like you know hate you. But you're not there, you know, for everybody, for to, like everybody to like you. You didn't come in to make friends with the staff. You, yeah. you came in. The reason why you're there the is there job. was obviously there was a situation beforehand that that it changed, and obviously the staff is going to be part of that problem and part of that solution. The second thing to remember is that as a manager, you, the staff doesn't work for you. You work for the staff, and obviously that sounds like it doesn't make sense at all. But if Super you cliche. if you really break it down. At, you know, the manager of a restaurant or the management of a restaurant is there to make sure all the parts are operating correctly. A utility player. A utility mm -hmm. player. So it's their job to, you know, in a full service situation, if a server is in the weeds, you know, help, help them start a table, help yeah. them, you know, with the water, you know, figure out what it is that they need and, and be that person. If the service, if the bartender is in the weeds, jump back there and bang out a few cocktails. If the expediter is in the weeds, get back there and start playing some dishes or running some food. 
and that's and that's how you're working for your staff. You're yeah. doing things for them that to they need you to do. Operations running smoothly. And the key is to put them in the position to be successful. Correct. If the manager is not doing those things and they're not setting their staff up, then then no one's going to succeed. And that's you know that's that's the important part to come into. The second part is the staff might there might be some problems within the staff that they just don't want to change. So the you know the first thing I would do is if there's you know, obviously two staff members or a group of staff members, depending on how big your staff is, that are like kind of together and start splitting those people up and figure out who are your who are your people. Like, you know, you know who, who your, are people, your key are, people who are your key people yeah. and who are the people that are carrying out, you know, what the business wants to do and put those people with the people that need a little work, kind of split it up. I think that's usually quite easy to spot and yeah. feel out as well. And then if it's the whole staff, you know, which is you know, not as common where the entire staff is against, you know, the management. But if you have a situation like that, then, you know, the first way to do that is to start hiring some new staff, start training the way you want um, things to be run into that new staff. And, you know, if the old old staff isn't, you know, getting what you're picking up, what you're putting down, then you need to pick them up and put them outside. And there's another danger in that as well, too, when you start hiring the new staff. If you don't do it fast enough and create turnover fast enough, then the old staff starts to poison the new staff yeah. to some extent. Well, you want to be you. You know, it's not so so much quick as much thorough. You want to make sure as you're hiring and bringing them in, you're you're f- explaining them to exactly what training them properly, training them properly, so that they the know job. what's going to be expected of them, yeah. and that they don't get into a situation where they're caught unable again, not able to succeed. So you're, you're just. Setting them up for success. Yeah. As much as possible. That's it. Yes. Well, it sounds like this was quite a simple solution. Simple as it sounds, harder to, you know. Much harder to execute. It's much harder to execute. It's it's hard to separate yourself sometimes, you know, from, you know, when the whole staff is like, we're all going out for drinks later, and then you don't get invited. You know, sometimes, sometimes (laughs) that that hurts. creates some hurt feelings You know, but, you know, but we're not... Again, that's why that's, that's the difference between yeah. management and staff. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah. you don't go out for drinks afterwards. Justin, are you envious when the staff goes out, though? I'm sorry. Are you envious when the staff goes out? For sure, he's not. No, for sure. I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's part of age. But I hope that answered your question. And you know, again, don't don't hesitate to not leave us a voicemail. Right? We want to get these things don't on. Don't hesitate here. to leave us a voicemail. That's what I meant. What you know? What I said. You heard me. We all know uh, what you said. That's why I said it better. Call call that voicemail number. Just leave the message. 203-541-0762. All right. That, cool. Good talk. See you out there. That was that was incorrect. What do you mean it's incorrect? Good talk. See you out there. Deuces. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, you want a more of an outro? Yeah. I want like the, yo, share it. Subscribe it. Oh. Good talk. See you. If you like what you heard, smash that like button. Cause you know <laughs> algorithms. <laughs> Deuces. Oh, this guy's <laughs> unbelievable. Good talk. See you out there. <laughs>